Welcome to Citizen Science, stories of science we can do together, coming to you from SciStarter's virtual world headquarters. This month, we're heading back to school to see how teachers and even college professors are making citizen science a part of their classroom instruction. I've helped track, capture, and take blood samples from alligators in the Everglades, and also had to teach a classroom full of middle schoolers. And I can say unequivocally that teaching preteens was way more challenging and terrifying. Teaching is one of the hardest jobs, and science teachers in particular have to help students understand a mountain of complex and counterintuitive concepts. And generally, teachers are not enthusiastic about adding new activities and challenges to their already jam-packed curriculum. So you might be surprised to hear that thousands of teachers, ranging from pre-K to college, are embracing citizen science as a way to help their children succeed in science. Broward County in southern Florida is the nation's sixth-largest school system, with over 250,000 students. They're leading the way in the use of citizen science in school. They've partnered with SciStarter to integrate SitSci projects into their online education management system. Broward uses a popular system called Canvas. We have with us Dr. Lisa Milenkovic, Supervisor for STEM and Computer Science for Broward County Public Schools. She was instrumental in bringing citizen science to Broward. Hey, Lisa, so good to talk with you. Yes, nice to chat with you too, Bob. Yeah, so um, you were really involved with the entire um, integration of SciStarter with the schools, and, and I really wanted to learn how that came about, because it's, it's not easy, I know, having been at least tangentially involved with school districts and science curriculum, uh, to get something new to happen. So could you tell us how this whole SciStarter Broward County thing came together? Well, it, it certainly hasn't been quick because we're <laughs> a large district and nothing happens quick here. But it started um, way back with, with space microbes and, and science cheerleaders and having signed up online to have teachers as our back-to-school meeting taking back to school, mm -hmm. we had a science cheerleader come out and had teachers swab their shoes and their phones for microbes, and I swabbed a banister at our building, and that one swab was one of the 48 that got to go to the space station, oh. and that's when I first met Darlene, actually, in person. Oh, right. So before Darlene Cavalier founded SciStarter, she had the science cheerleaders, um, you know, bringing cheerleaders who were also scientists out to uh, public schools. So, so what drew you to that? Um, I have a thing with if their students are doing real science, they'd be, they were more engaged. So mm -hmm. trying to get students to do real science, and that was my way of introducing it to all the science teachers in the district. I was kind of science and STEM supervisor at the time. Oh, wow. And why do you think it's important for students to do you know, actual science with actual researchers <laughs> as opposed to, you know, the demonstrations and the dissections and the things that you kind of do in the traditional science classroom? It engages them and they know that it's real. I always say that students can see right through fake relevance. We give them a scenario, they see through that, they know that that's not real. But here they can actually sometimes even talk to the scientists if they have questions. And... Um, hear exactly how their data is being used and why data is important and why they have to be careful in collecting data. So it gives them a, a new perspective. 
And you've integrated it. Um, and again, I haven't been that involved with current education, but I guess you have a, an online utility called Canvas and you have worked uh, this into that. Yeah, Canvas is our learning management system and we actually started using that pre-COVID. And so mm. we were lucky as a district that we had Canvas and it was easy to move into online learning because of that. But it's also what every teacher gets their coursework in Canvas and students are used to going to Canvas for their coursework. So we wow. now have an, an integration. It's called an LTI integration where they could go in and create an assignment, then give, assign a citizen science project. And these are curated ones that we've reached out and realized that are easy to integrate in the classroom. And we've given them the resources to do that. Hmm. And then how do they grade this sort of thing? Or is that even important? Um, they grade it on, well, the students have to make observations and they do have a worksheet that goes along with it and a rubric that we've mm -hmm. developed for all the projects. And it's not as important as to grade. I mean, what's important is that they're doing science, you know, right. so it's a reflection on what they've learned. Most of it is tied to what they're learning in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And that's how we've selected the activities. We also have a custom project builder. So once the students and teachers have done a lesson or two of citizen science project and have contributed to a project, they maybe they have a question and they can create their own project. So we haven't used it a whole lot yet, but I'm looking forward to the science fair projects where it's a student coming up with an idea and then sending out their link for collecting data and it can be data collected all over the world and they can be the scientists. Oh, so cool. Do you have any uh, feedback from the teachers yet on how it's going or is it still too early? The teachers that have used it love it. Um, we still have a lot of, we have a lot of teachers here in Broward, so we haven't reached anywhere near capacity yet. But I think the ones that have used it, I think enjoy it and they find it easy to use and we're constantly tweaking it and adding more projects. As That's I think where we're going to grow is adding uh, more projects just like SciStarter does and just pulling more projects from SciStarter. Mm-hmm. And have you, uh, have you heard from other school districts that are interested in this? Not yet. Uh-huh. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe after this. Maybe after this. We're, you know, we're available to chat with people if they'd like to. And, um, you know, it's in Canvas, but I think as an LTI, I'm going to talk for the tech people, mm -hmm. they can pull it into other learning management systems as well, similarly. Ah. Okay. Anything else you'd like to share? No, I, well, that I think our students and our teachers really like being real, real scientists and contributing to something larger than themselves. Thanks, Lisa. Cheryl Ariola also works for Broward County Public Schools. She is instructional facilitator for STEM and computer science and works directly with the teachers there. We're speaking with her from her busy back-to-school week Broward County office. Hey, Cheryl, thanks for taking time to speak with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So, um, as I understand it, you're involved with introducing teachers to citizen science and how they can work it into the classroom. And I imagine, uh, with all the things teachers have going on, there might be some trepidation, like, oh, it's one more thing I have to do, and how am I going to learn this? So, so how's it going? What, what's the reaction to teachers when you say, yeah, we're going to add this new thing? <laughs> Usually teachers are very excited about um, bringing SciStarter into their classrooms because it can help meet the standards that they're teaching in a way that students see the value and the connection to real-world problems. 
Yeah, and I imagine just from what I've seen of the um, the, the uh, next generation science standards, and I might be a little bit behind with this, but a lot of the things that were added um, were the real life experiences, seeing how things are connected, uh, collecting, doing a lot of the things that weren't a part of the original textbooks. So I imagine, you know, perhaps this is actually solving, you know, helping to solve a problem for them. Yes, I think, I think it, it manages um, many content area standards uh, to hit them at the same time. So whether or not it's uh, ELA that they're having to write down and record and narrate their findings and descriptions of environmental factors, um, it's also looking at the data collected and statistical analysis, so they're hitting the math standards. It, many times it's a community involvement or it's civic engagement, um, geography because it's connecting to um, latitude, longitude, and it's um, geotagging them for their contributions. Um, and then of course it goes without saying as far as science standards, you know, connections to, you know, living things, ecosystems, and limiting factors. And so it and even touches on because they're using technology in many of the cases, it's touching on computer science standards. Um, so it really is cross uh, disciplinary, you know, interdisciplinary in its approach. And I think teachers love that aspect of it. Wow, so I'm, I'm kind of old school. I didn't realize that science teachers would be responsible for all these other things, interdisciplinary. So, um, so I guess that's part of the new, the way the frameworks are now. Well, you know, a lot of teachers like to cover, especially in, in elementary school. So uh -huh. they teach all content areas. So if you can have a unit of study that incorporates um, a project that is cross-curricular, then that's very helpful. And of course, you know, we're all reading teachers, we're all math teachers, so even within the content area, you know, we're asked to also address other content area standards too, so students see the interconnection between disciplines, that it's not just a silo, that it actually is across content areas. And I think huh. it's more valuable for students to see that. Great. Are there particular projects that you use to introduce them to citizen science, or how do you kind of go about it? We have about 15 right now that are in our Canvas LTI. So we have like Project Squirrel, we have Seek by iNaturalist, we have the Globe suite of projects. Um, we have, um, gosh, there's so many. Um, and so the teachers will choose from that um, to assign to their students. So we use several to model, like when we have them in training, we like the Globe Observer Cloud, so we'll take them outside to do some training on that particular project. Um, we like Project Squirrel because while we're outside looking at clouds, we could also track um, the squirrel numbers in that, in that environment. So, um, so there's so many projects. And like I said, we're constantly finding new ones that we're like, this is a great fit for our content area. Let's add that to our project portal. Huh. And what's an LTI again? It's the um, kind of an interface so that it's an external tool that's embedded inside of our learning management system, which is Canvas. Okay. And so they don't have to go elsewhere to assign it. It's embedded as part of that, that uh, platform. Wow. And how do teachers, I mean, or maybe they don't, but do they grade these experiences? Because that's something that's not inherent in the original size starter. There's no grades or ranking or anything like that. 
Yes, so teachers, uh, it will auto-grade, so as they complete their participation and submit their data collection sheet, then it will, depending on how the teacher has set up the assignment, um, that particular aspect of completion can be worth, um, you know, 100% of the grade value. Or we also have a very important reflection piece that if students complete the data collection and then also have the reflection piece, that's part of that grade. And teachers have the uh, privilege of deciding how much weight is given to the actual project completion and then the reflection piece. Um, and so it will auto grade that and give them credit for it. And then the teacher has, once they've reviewed the, the submission, they can adjust the grade accordingly. Hmm. Great. Now, is it too early, um, or do you have any, um, you know, idea of how it's going? Has it been tried with students? Has, have you gotten feedback from the teachers? How? Where are we now? Well, we're a couple, just a couple weeks into our um, new school year, um, uh. and I have some teachers, elementary school, that are are working with the projects. They did it last year. They're continuing implementing. Um, I haven't heard from them yet, but I know based on their con contributions last year, they definitely were going to start the year with some of the projects. Um, I have a high school that has just uh, that attended my summer training, and they are already they were so excited about it that they went back to their school, uh, recruited several other of their team members. They're already hit the ground running. They're doing the iNaturalist uh, project, and they've they signed up to do the Fairchild. Uh, garden challenge as well, which oh, is unique great. to uh, us as well. Um, so we definitely have a lot of traction, a lot of excitement, and I'm currently pushing out emails to lend my support and uh, come to their schools if they need assistance and help with anything to help them be successful with implementation. That is great. Is there anything else uh, you want to share or anything I, um, I just haven't asked about that, uh, that you want to talk about? Um, no, we're just very excited about our partnership with SciStarter and looking forward to a successful year of um, getting more teachers on board and um, assigning projects to their students. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us and sharing your perspective. My pleasure. Thank you. While Cheryl works across the K-12 spectrum in Broward County, our next two guests specialize in citizen science for the college classroom. Tobin Walton is Assistant Professor of Sociology at North Carolina A&T State University, and Karen Cooper is Associate Professor of Public Science at North Carolina State University. All right. Hi, Tobin and Karen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us, Bob. Yeah, it's great to be here. Great. Okay. So as I understand it, you guys are working on um, adapting citizen science towards uh, use in higher education, or... Uh, adapting higher education people uh, to use citizen science uh, through tutorials and things. So can you uh, explain a little bit about why you're doing this and, and how citizen science can be used in higher education? Oh, yeah, most certainly. Uh, and I guess my first response would be uh, because I love a challenge. Uh, it has been quite challenging. Um, but, you know, one of the things we hear from our students consistently is that uh, you know, the coursework they do, particularly in STEM fields, is just not directly related to their everyday lives uh, and the people in their communities. And so citizen science for myself, as well as my colleagues, is really a way to, to try to show students the relevance of, of science and research and, and social sciences in particular for myself as a sociologist. So that's, that's one of my primary motivations here for sure. Okay. What do you think, Karen? 
Yeah, there's a lot of reasons that instructors of higher ed want to use citizen science in their teaching. And it, it really, um, I mean, it varies with the field. So like some are, um, like we have instructors who are teaching English, um, like first, first year uh, English courses, instructors who are teaching math, who are in communication, um, all kinds of things other than even just like biology and ecology, environmental sciences. So a whole lot of different disciplines find it useful for students to have like hands-on experiences being part of um, scientific efforts that are that are really large group efforts and that are real, that are um, have real scientific questions <laughs> where their data are are meaningful and useful. Um, and and how they use it really varies, right? Like some are interested in in students working with the data that come from those projects. Others, like the English classes, are interested in having students write about those experiences. Mm. Um, so it it can really vary. Some want their students to learn different skills in the field, observational skills, learn about the scientific method. Um, you know, so it really varies, but the, there's just so many different advantages that what we've seen is that, like I said, there's instructors all across campus in all these, teaching all these different courses that are interested in using citizen science. Wow. And so the challenge for Tobin and I and our teams was to find ways to help prepare instructors to use it to the best advantage. Yeah, so that was my next question. How are you preparing them? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to take that one. Um, so we have gone through a couple of different approaches to, to working with faculty. Um, we had begun with some workshops and, and just some sort of meetings where we would talk about citizen science and give faculty, you know, an introduction to, to what it is and what it could be if they brought it into their course. Uh, we just finished uh, this summer uh, a citizen science faculty fellows program, both at North Carolina State and North Carolina A&T, my institution. Uh, and for our side of that fellows program, it was a, a six week, I'll say intensive, but it was, it was not all that intensive, but it was, I'd say an hour uh, a week of meetings with a citizen science mentor, as well as in probably two or three hours of, of preparation where the faculty were sort of on their own to explore uh, some of the ideas that they worked with their mentor on. Uh, and each of those uh, faculty fellows came out with a citizen science module for their course that they're going to implement this fall. So we're really excited to see uh, what, what, turns out with those things. Uh, and as Karen said, we had faculty from uh, English, we had faculty from uh, math preparation, uh, we had faculty from physics, we had faculty from sociology, psychology, engineering. So it's really uh, been been quite an experience to see how faculty can uh, really adapt what citizen science is uh, for use in their classroom. Wow. And is that a model for is that, that six-week program? Is that something that might happen at other universities? We would love to do that, and we would love to share our experiences, both the goods and the bad, uh, and on how to put something like that together, most definitely. Wow. Yeah, we did similar. Well, both of our institutions had our instructors uh, do two on um, self-guided online tutorials by themselves first, and one was the Foundations of Citizen Science tutorial on SciStarter, and then the second was the Citizen Science in Higher Ed tutorial that Tobin and I led the creation of. And so they did those on their own first. Well, I guess they did it in tandem with, with yours, Tobin. Anyway, and then at NC State, instead of six weeks, we scrunched ours into two full days. Wow. <laughs> and um, so we just tried it a different way. Uh, but what was really fun was when we had 
the summer faculty fellows at both of our institutions come together for like for sharing all of their work with each other and getting feedback and finding connections about like what they were doing similarly, you know, all the places we had synergies and learning from each other um, was really great. And then also discussing ways that we'll all join forces in um, sort of in assessing the learning outcomes, assessing what works and what doesn't, so we can all figure out how to improve this process going forward. Wow. And so for, for listeners who aren't there and uh, maybe missed out on that and, and, but are intrigued by this, how do they get involved? Well, I would say K Karen mentioned uh, the uh, self-paced tutorial that, that she and I created together, and that is available on SciStarter, and that is definitely a, a way to sort of get your feet wet. Uh, we really tried to set it up so that uh, someone who hasn't thought about using citizen science or maybe doesn't even know what citizen science might be, much less how they might bring it into their university course, uh, they can participate in that tutorial and really get a foundational understanding of, of all of the things that they, that they might need and, and the benefits that it might bring. Hmm. And in that, um, in that tutorial also, we talk about some other resources, and one that's really useful um, is called the Use SITSI Network, which stands, I can't remember what it stands for now. It's like undergraduate, undergraduate student experiences in citizen science. Yeah, Use SITSI. Um, and that uh -huh. is a research coordination network, um, and uh, that, that, Everyone who's in higher ed and is using citizen science or interested in it is encouraged to join um, and just be part of that network of people. Um, so it's similar to like sort of the network that Tobin and I have at our two institutions, but it's broader and it's just like all institutions um, coming together. And so, so what's next? You've done this tutorial um, and you've just had your, um, your intensive, extensive, but not too scary uh, summer program. Uh, what's next? So yeah, so so now we get to turn the faculty loose this fall uh, with their students, uh, and they will go ahead and execute those modules. Uh, as Karen had said, we we are certainly uh, interested in getting some feedback from both the faculty and the students in terms of whether this has enhanced their learning outcomes. Uh, you know as well as just practical uh, issues faced by faculty we want to try to get some information on just to learn about better and worse ways to, to try to implement this stuff. Uh, one of the things that, that I've found challenging that I'm really excited to, to learn from this fall is just the way that students interface with the various instructions on how to uh, engage with citizen science. And so we've, we've had in these uh, faculty fellows uh, a diverse way and sort of like a, a, a you know, an experimental bed of different ways to interface with the students in terms of what they want them to do. Uh, and so I think we will come away with, with a lot of uh, learning from, from that, better and worse ways to, to try to interact with your students and bring them into this process. Great. Anything else you'd like to share? I would like to add one more thing, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, one of the benefits as well, you know, it's, it, of course, this is all about students, but uh, one of the things I find as well is that, that faculty, especially younger faculty, are interested in, you know, improving their teaching uh, and interested in using evidence-based approaches to teaching and learning. Uh, and, you know, there's a joke within academia that, you know, a lot of us uh, as faculty, um, you know, we, we know our content area, but we're not necessarily trained as teachers. <laughs> so uh, there's, you know, a lot of interest among faculty, you know, 
to, to learn things about experiential learning, active learning, inquiry-based learning. Uh, and what's really been cool to learn about citizen science from my perspective is that citizen science provides sort of some material that can really be a cornerstone of any of those approaches to teaching and learning. Uh, so, so faculty really get excited when, you know, they want to learn about experiential learning and they find out that, wow, citizen science can really give me some great things to do within this broader pedagogical approach. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I'll add too that with students, like one of the things I think students most dislike is just busy work, right? They don't they don't want to do meaningless work. Like they want to learn things, but they don't want to necessarily do things that are that are meaningless or just assigned for the sake of having an assignment or or proving that they know something. And mm -hmm. so um so I think there is that appeal of citizen science and of of having assignments where they're where they're doing something that matters. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, for sharing with us. Well, thank you for having us. It's been great. Yeah. Thanks for having us here. Jill Nugent is here with us today from the Dallas area. Jill is on the SciStarter Education team and covers citizen science for the National Science Teachers Association and Discover Magazine. She's also an online science faculty member for Southern New Hampshire University. Hey, Jill. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Bob. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So citizen science in school, I mean, I can imagine teachers, you know, they have so much on their plate. How do they react to this idea that now they're also going to be doing, you know, scientific research in the classroom? Oh my gosh, great question. Yeah, I think once they see the engagement with the kids of any age, K through 12, college and beyond for our lifelong learners, uh -huh. um, but classroom teachers for K-12, oh my gosh, once they see the engagement the students have, I think they're sold on the idea. It's, it's for everyone. It's truly science for all. Oh, wow. And so does it fit in with like the teacher standards and state frameworks and then all these different things they have to meet in their hour or something? How does it fit in with that? Absolutely. In fact, one thing, citizen science really helps to model the science practices of the next generation science standards. Um, so it fits in so well. It provides students with uh, authentic opportunities to do science and engage across science, the core ideas, science practices, and the cross-cutting concepts in science. So it's such a great fit for the curriculum. Huh. Do you have any examples of like what kinds of projects are they doing and you know, maybe some specific SciStarter projects? Great question. Yeah. And if you're listening, be sure and check out SciStarter.org for the project finder. There's thousands of projects that are a great fit for all age groups. And you can even select the ones that have curriculum materials. But um, really from astronomy to zoology and everything in between, there's a project for every age group, every classroom. Um, I know here where I am, a lot of a lot of the classrooms are getting involved in project-based learning, studying the migration of the monarch butterfly south from, you know, it's Canada, the United States, and then it, it'll overwinter in Mexico. So that's a that's one that the classrooms are going to immerse in this fall. But truly, um, from the physical sciences, earth sciences, life sciences, um, the Project Finder lists projects for um, really for any discipline, any age band. Um, there's something for everybody. Huh. Well, let's see. Any uh, any other examples um, of uh, teachers you've worked with, or classes, or schools? Um, just to give people a more concrete example of how this kind of works. Oh, sure. Oh my gosh, so many great examples out there. One area that I'm getting really excited about, really across K-12, um, you know, elementary, middle, and high school, in our area, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of teachers um, 
kind of creating um, an outdoor learning area right there on campus. So whether it's an elementary and really all the way to college, um, you know, they're seeing, okay, from the project finder, what projects can be done right here on our school grounds? Mm -hmm. That's been really exciting, whether it's, you know, phenology studies, watching the seasons, um, and you don't have to have a robust, like, outdoor garden. It's amazing if you do, um, but we had a school here who they started with a hummingbird feeder, mm -hmm. um, and they did the Journey North hummingbird migration monitoring, and that led to them developing a whole outdoor learning area mm -hmm. on the campus. So, yeah, it can start with something like a bird feeder, a hummingbird feeder and then grow from there as you know people get excited about it the school building gets excited everyone's talking about it and um, yeah so the sky is the limit I, I would say if you're interested in starting start small you know find a project um, just start small and it'll organically grow from there because again it not only are the students engaged but other teachers the principal parents and it'll organically grow from there okay all right, anything else you'd like to share? Or um, I assume we have probably a lot of educators in the audience for this podcast. Anything else that you want to say to them or share? Oh my gosh, yes. Just, I would say dive into it. It's a great way to immerse your students in real world research anywhere, anytime. You know, we saw during the last few years, students can do it at home, in their backyard, online, at a park, in the classroom, in the schoolyard. So really, um, wherever your learners are located, you can do citizen science. Great. All right. Thanks so much, Jill. Thanks, Bob. If you'd like to learn more about citizen science in the classroom, we've got the perfect resource page for you at SciStarter.org. It's at SciStarter.org slash education. Big surprise. You'll find links to great appropriate projects, training modules, and links to Jill's SitSci for Teachers columns. That's at SciStarter.org slash education. Well, that's all we've got for you this time. I'm Bob Hershon. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you each month by SciStarter, where you will find thousands of citizen science projects, events, and tools. It's all at SciStarter.org. That's S-C-I-S-T-A-R-T-E-R dot org. SciStarter's founder is Darlene Cavalier. And thanks so much to you, the listener and the citizen scientist, for getting involved and making a difference. If you have any ideas that you want to share with us and any things you want to hear on this podcast, get in touch with us at info at SciStarter.org. Once again, our email address is info at SciStarter.org. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.